Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail, sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, today we're kicking off another episode of Rethink Retail with my guest, Carl Boutte. He's a well-known retail strategist and board advisor with over 25 years of hands-on retail experience. He's the founder of Studio RX and executive director of retail strategy, data and insights for CloudRinker. He's responsible for advising senior retailers and tech companies alike, and he's cultivated expertise in this space from his work at wholesale powerhouse Costco to owning and operating his own retail chain with 65 locations to strategy consulting for a group of 800 independent retailers. He advises for retail school of management at McGill University and multiple retail innovation labs. Carl, will you first kick us off by describing a bit more about yourself and what you do? Well, you did a pretty good job there. I mean, yes, I, I, I think the first comment people usually get from, from my, what I do, quote unquote, is, is just the diversity of, of different things I'm involved with. So I do sit on several advisories, usually the, the common denominator being around retail or commercial innovation. Um, but what I get more excited about is really the, the hands-on, the operational stuff, the, the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, the work, the years I did uh, with my, my retail chain that I built out with Costco uh, here up here in Canada. Um, so when I speak about retail, it comes from a place of, of appreciation for just how messy uh, and, and, and complex, you know, the operations can be. So it's, it's not just purely strategic. That makes total sense. And a little bit more about you owning and operating your, your own retail chain. Is that, yeah. how, how did yeah. that start? <laughs> Just That's actually really, yeah. It's, a few people actually asked that. It's, um, so it started very opportunistically through a friend of mine who, this is in the early days of, of what we called then cell phones, which today almost sounds like, <laughs> dark, but um, so think back mid nineties, uh, there is, you know, cell phones are starting to get a bit of traction in the market. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's in, the, in that business space already and is one of the first franchisors for a group up here that turned to, that was uh, partners with AT&T at one point um, said, you know, I had this meeting with people in Costco that would be interested in opening up these, you know, finding a way to sell this. They're just not set up to do it because you have to actually, at the time, we actually even had to program the phones ourselves. It wasn't even over the air. Oh, wow. So like they're really good at selling hot dog buns off of, off pallets and they can sell a lot of them. And they're actually, their demographic is really, you know, is actually quite interesting. It's not, it's a high end customer. It's not, it's not, you know, a, a bargain basement sort of the thing. It's, it's, it's a good demographic for this category. They're very excited about it. They just don't know how to go about it. Um, so they tested a couple of different things, but what they realized is the best was to have a dedicated uh, group internally, they weren't. In, they, it wasn't something they were looking to develop themselves. They preferred to partner, and we were actually the first ones to have our uh, have external staff inside of Costco. They had never done that before, so it was a store. You know what we call today store and store, which back then we didn't really have a name for it. Um, and uh, we started with one, you know, here in Montreal, and and we built it out nationally. So it went from coast to coast, and now there's over a hundred. Uh, the group that took over from us in uh, the mid two thousands. 
but uh, yeah, so it, was, so it was really ramping up and understanding the operations and working, doing the merchandising. And I mean, it was, it was if anything, really a staffing exercise, but it was still exciting to sort of grow and put all the, all the pieces in place. And obviously Costco was driving the traffic, so I didn't, that wasn't something I had to worry too much about. And coming from the marketing field, it was interesting not to have to worry about that, but uh, it gave me an appreciation for a focus on lean and mean operations. And that's, you know, that's what makes them so successful. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a big undertaking and definitely a lot of insights. I'm sure came from that whole experience. And well, it's funny you say store and store because I mean now it's it's such a huge concept and it's it's blowing up, you know. So yes, I mean we we were doing this like we were we were the first in market on a bunch of things because of that because we were the first to be national in the category to coast to coast. It was very fragmented at that time. Even like Radio Shack and Best Buy weren't in the category. You know, this is how far you know. How, yeah. <laughs> but it, it looks now. You know, back then it didn't feel like anything that special. But now we will kind of go back and see what we're doing. Like, hey, that, that was pretty. You know, that was pretty innovative. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important lesson, apart from the operations, and something I like to speak to a lot, and I know we'll get to that shortly, is is also the cultural side and what kind of culture you set and 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 the environment that you create. And even though we're inside of somebody else's environment like Costco and we had to play by their rules, we still had our own, you know, we were able to set up our own specific way of, you know, of staffing and making sure that we were living up to our commitment to them. Makes total sense. <clears throat> and, you know, the best assets are your people, as they say. Um, but the, the one thing I know you have a lot of insight on is connected experiences. It's obviously a hot topic in the space right now. So I want to dive in just and ask you about why, why this change is happening. Um, what type of investments do you see retailers putting the most money in? Because we see more and more restructuring not only their business model, but also down to the physical locations to better accommodate blending of physical and digital. What is your take yeah. on this? Yeah. So I think, you know, we we're because we're, we see more of the front end of stores we focus sort of on the digital and, and, and those, you know the, what, what kind of pops out at our eyes and our, our ears and you know kind of catches our attention but I, I i would i suspect or well i pretty much know that more of that investment uh, is actually in the back end it's happening in, in terms of supply chain stuff and getting i think amazon's pushing you know people to to you know really get their fulfillment game up to a new level so a lot of that connectivity right now is more around how can we get the product quicker into the customer's hands. Um, That said, I mean, yes, there is still a lot happening on the front end and and that's mostly around personalization, which we were just really at day one on. I mean, we're just really starting to figure that out and and we got a lot of work to do to get that right. But that's, you know, where's the ROI right now? The ROI really is more on the back end, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, but the reality it's, you know, it's, it's not as, as, uh, attractive as some of the stuff you see walking the show floors and, 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 and the flashing lights, but it's, it's where a lot of the more effective work gets done. Yeah. The not, not so sexy side of business. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, and which is, you know, interesting because I'm actually speaking at the end of the, the month at this supply chain conference, which I very rarely do. I mean, it's usually more the marketing side and you know, what you come to realize more and more is that those two worlds, I mean, you're going to hear me say the word blurring a lot. Cause I think there's a lot of blurring going on now, which makes everything a little more complex, but there is this, this real sort of blurring of back end and front end and, and what the store is actually meant to be or, or any 
you know, you put that, put the word store in quotes, you know, and say, what is this space going to be and how is it going to fulfill my promise to the customer? And, and then how's technology going to facilitate that, you know, in a greater context? That makes total sense. Um, so supply chain is where the focus is. It's funny. I actually, I heard um, something that Amazon was offering like $10,000 to unhappy employees to start their own personal delivery company on behalf of Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily unhappy employees. Maybe that's <laughs> you could read between the lines. That's probably what it'd be But those that were looking to change for a change in their careers. They were, yeah. Well, they're, it, what they're doing is they're, they're extending a line of credit or the possibility of having a line of credit of $10,000 to help these employees. And, and I think eventually they'll, they'll go beyond that. They'll go external, but right now they're, they're keeping it in-house. I think they already have 60 or so that have, have taken a lot that they piloted uh, in the last year, including one that I was reading, I think in your area, actually in Florida that has like already 60 at 60 employees and oh, wow. yeah and it's ramped up like you know some pretty impressive numbers in a short period of time um not that we're here to promote amazon and, and what they're doing but <clears throat> the fact that yeah it's, it's sort of uh, indicative of the out-of-the-box thinking they're doing and the ten thousand really what it does is it, it's a line of credit that goes towards them being able to afford uh, their first van so they can go around and enter these these uh these branded, these branded vans, you just can't go out and buy what any, or any old van you want. It has to be through them too. So there's, there's some terms and conditions, but, uh, right. Well, but do you speaks, yeah, so it speaks to sort of your back end thing. And this is not technology. This is very low, low tech. It's just kind of common sense trying to use, you know, the, the, the assets that they have, which are, you know, their people. Yeah. And it makes total sense. And not to bring up Amazon cause that's a whole other discussion, but, um, I just saw that and thought it was interesting and I'm sure other retailers are, or scrambling to figure out the well, it, yeah, well, you know, a lot of retail, other retailers have been doing this for a long time too. Forget, don't remember, remember Walmart tested this last year, where mm-hmm. they were paying employees after work to bring. If they they were trying to they they, they, tie, they tested I think in New Jersey uh, a project where they they had a piece of software that would figure out where people where their employees lived and where if there was if there was packages to deliver on the route home and would uh, and would ask the employee, hey, do you want to make an extra, you know. $40 uh, after work, uh, you know, which somebody who's making probably, you know, minimum wage is not probably not, is going to consider, I think, you know, could you drop off a couple of these packages that we've rooted that we know was pretty much, you know, on your way home. Mm-hmm. And, but that didn't exactly work out. So they, 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 they tested it. It didn't, didn't uh, I don't think it went any further, but that's, it's not just Amazon that's out there trying these things. And, and I know a lot of, uh, a lot of independent business uh, yeah, retail owners who do this on a daily basis who, who bring deliveries to clients on their way home too. So yeah. <laughs> I just whenever Amazon does it, it always sounds smarter than everybody else. So I know they have all the media captured, <laughs> um, but back to like connected experiences in store digital, what are some examples that, that come to mind where they've been really successful and why do you think that is? Yes, yeah, so the one I, I keep bringing up, and it's a bit unfair because people say, "Well, they have so much budget to do whatever they want," but I, I don't think it's necessarily a budget thing. I think it's a it's a mindset thing, and important to remember whenever we talk about these large retailers, it's actually harder for them in a lot of ways to get things done just because of the bureaucracy and the and the, and the, and the uh, you know they're big they're big boats to push around. But Nike, I think, is doing some really interesting work around connecting you know, the digital, the physical, back to this blurring notion, but how they're, 
merchandising their stores, the how they're they're incentivizing their app users, you know, within their concepts like Melrose or their new innovation factories, you know, where they're they're adding value for those customers that are they're engaged at a deeper level with them. So I think that's I think that's really neat. And can you tell us a little bit more about the actual store experience? I know they have a lot of um, different levels of engagement that they offer to customers, but how is that sort of segmented when you're in the experience? Um, I can only speak to the one in New York. Having been there, I haven't been to Melrose. Melrose, I've, I've seen a lot of pictures of. I think what made Melrose more interesting was the fact that even how the location was chose, chosen in um, in LA for this, based on the app user data, and then how they would actually see what sports were the most practiced in that area to help them decide what their what their merchandising look like um mm. so that i thought was really innovative now the new york store is more around the levels and the experiences are more on categories uh with the, the lower level being all around personalization you know so that's that's really interesting how they can you know how you can create your own shoe very quickly and and and, and you know really customize it to a degree that you know even a short time ago would have been really hard for us to imagine um, and now they're opening more and more of those stores. And and what's interesting about these big innovation stores is, you know, they can take elements of that store out and, and reproduce it at smaller scale and, and less, you know, in smaller markets. So they don't necessarily need to run the whole thing everywhere. And so, you know, they have in Shanghai or New York, these really over the top stores, but then they can bring a store like to Orlando or Montreal that has elements of that and, and that are inspired. The other parts of it, are around interaction, you know, trying to recreate environments where you could actually test the products, uh, digital environments, physical environments, um, and uh, and then it just always be changing. I mean, uh, this you know these stores were are, are typically almost you know remerchandised almost every week now because of, they're running on data and trying to really sort of like their websites, you know, trying to do this constant A-B testing and figuring out what works best where and when. Yeah, and that's obviously brings its own set of challenges, but hopefully a bigger upside. For yeah, and that's why I start off by saying I have a deep appreciation for the messiness of retail. I mean, the operational for, for somebody, you know, in the head office to say, okay, well, it's easy. You just got to, you know, put this there and put that there and we'll move this, this this week and that next week. And it's great to say it, to do it is a whole other thing, you know, <laughs> and build incentives around it to actually get the people to want to do it. So it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a lot more complicated than just coming up with the idea. So, but I like, I, I'm, that's why I'm very favorable to organizations that can, you know, large organizations that can move quickly is, is very impressive. And still to this day, I consider that a big um, competitive advantage for the smaller guys to be able to replicate that, even though they don't have the budget to do what it is over the top, top of his Nike is they can have the mindset and execute on it in much, you know, much shorter cycles. Yeah, and we are, we are seeing it more with, with the big retailers that do have the budget, but obviously scale, like you mentioned, is an issue and, and some other things. So we have a lot of respect for them. But have you seen any, I mean, large or small that have tried to implement a successful connected experience and just kind of failed or one that's not doing as, as hot as the others? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think any of them are really real failures if they learn from them. But I, there's there's more failures than there are wins. So I'm not. Gonna, I don't. I don't really want to single anybody out. I don't think there's much to gain from doing it. But I think you'll see a lot of retailers testing, you know, concepts out and trying smart mirrors and 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 beacons and and different sort of ways of of creating some. Maybe a lot of times more about creating buzz than than actual you know value. But 
you know, and then there's nothing wrong with that. If it, if it gets, you know, keeps the, brings customers in and has them excited for that period of time, then it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. So maybe but, more a little bit like the shiny object syndrome where the technology is really yeah. not up to speed. Well, yeah. the technology, can, yeah. So, you know, it's either the technology's not quite there yet, which again is fine because if the people, you know, hats off to the retailers that have the courage to take those out and try them and, and, and fail. And a lot of the, especially the larger ones, really don't like that. I mean, that's part of the cultural challenge in, in our industry is, is there's very little tolerance for failure. So if they go out and put that smart mirror up and, and you know, that afternoon a child comes by and spills juice on it and, and the thing's fried and then whoever put the mirror up gets blamed for how, why would you even think this was going to work and it gets tossed out to the back and you never see it again. I mean, that's, you know, that's tough, but you, there's a lesson in there. Maybe that lesson is keep juice away from the mirrors, but um, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's, it's this, that constant sort of always moving and, and there's, you know, substantial costs tied to all this too. So I can appreciate that retailers really want to measure before they do that. And, and so you start, you're seeing more and more, uh, lab concepts or store concepts where they they're 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 built to to test these things out. So that's that's also I think you know a trend we're going to see more and more of. Yeah, that makes sense. Not necessarily a, a pop up or um, a concept store, but an actual like innovation lab. I mean, they they all are right. So that's you're right. The innovation labs have been around for a while in different ways. Uh, often they they were just more for merchandising and testing out merchandising concepts. But um, but now yes, the retail. So Walmart announced their IRL like, what last month or a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, that's right. So I mean, you know, that's an example of of a, of a large scale one that's doing, you know, massive. Uh, you know, doing massive. Uh, technological and you know, testing it's i don't know if it's innovation uh, i encourage people to read a there's a piece by uh, i don't know if you're familiar with chris walton's work but chris who's a, a, a lab person he actually was running target's store of the future before wrote a good for in forbes about challenging that that narrative that these are actually innovation labs he thinks the they're, they're iterative they're not innovation and he has a point but that's there's nothing and, and he also makes the point there's there's nothing wrong with that it, they don't all have to be these, you know, science fiction spaces. If, if, right. <laughs> if, they, if they're incremental improvements, that's, you know, that's, we need that too. Um, the innovation labs, the real ones, which I'm involved with one and that's upcoming in McGill, I say real one, I use that in quotes, but yeah, is, is the ones where you can really take the longer bets and the longer horizons. And, and with, with McGill, the work I'm doing here, uh, the opportunity for retailers to be in a space that's, that, doesn't expose them to much risk and, and allows them to have like the academics around the people that can really spend the time, you know, and, and, and again, in longer and longer cycles. Cause one thing we can't forget about retailers, especially the ones that are publicly listed. I mean, the pressure on the short term is so strong that mm -hmm. to take long-term bets right now is, is really difficult. Walmart's, you know, trying to lead the way there and, and, and Nordstrom's and a couple of others, but it's, it's really, really, you know, it's tough. So, uh, there's more a notion of fast following now. So let somebody else sort of prove it out and then we'll just copy it as quickly as we can. Um, Cause they, you know, we'll let them take the risk on it more than us, but that's, you know, that's not working as well as it used to. And especially as we look at markets like China, where they're really pulling ahead of us and you, know, you almost get to a stage where following is, is just, you know, it's even more difficult. Yeah, it is, especially to c compete against them. I mean, I was, I was talking with, 
someone on the, the show the other day who said that they already have, you know, same day delivery for mul- tons of retailers. And then they have like 30 minute grocery delivery in some areas. Yeah. So Yeah. I had some associates that were in Shanghai not too long ago. And the, the story that was going around was the 15, the 15 minute Apple. Uh, you can get an Apple in 15 minutes, in 15 minutes anywhere in Shanghai. Is that true? I, like I wasn't there to test it, but that was what they were going around saying that basically wow. you know, through HEMA, you know, they could, uh, they could, you know, they had this, this sort of, you, within 15 minutes, you can have an Apple now. If you're going to pay $10 for your Apple, it's up to you. But I mean, <laughs> it, it can be done, right? So Yeah, at a price. Be, <laughs> at a price, but probably subsidized one, probably even at $10. I suspect they're losing money on the Apple. But um, anyways, I don't even know if it's $10. I'm just saying it's, you know, I don't know what the costs were exactly. But it's, it's more this notion of like, God, how you know, how, what is this going to, where, when is this, this race, what I call the race to zero going to end? And when, you know, Amazon launches one day delivery, Walmart the next day basically throws their hat in the ring and you're, and I feel for all the other ones that are just kind of shaking their head going, guys, we're like, we're struggling with like, you know, three day delivery right. <laughs> or, or depending what market you're in, if you're in Canada and the in demographics and the geography is different, you're like, God, you know, how do you, you know, four five day deliveries is some in some areas is tough. And now you're saying, you know, we gotta live up to one day delivery and we're, you know, our our you know, we're we're break even at best as it is. Like how where do we get these where do we find these these efficiencies? Like what can we do to squeeze what can we squeeze harder to try to, you know, absorb that cost and, and, and is it you know, is it the vendor or is it the is it the customer? Where's that money gonna come from? It's it's that's going back to my operational roots and my concerns around it. So I'm just <laughs> shaking my head and, and I, I want to do some work around the business models. I think there's, there's a lot to go in there too, because you brought that up in your question and seeing how the business models are changing. I think, I don't think we talk about that enough because I think that's really what's pulsing a lot of this is the legacy retailers are having to play by very different rules. And that rule mainly is that their, their investors expect them to make a profit. Mm-hmm. And their access to capital is more expensive than, than, you know, some of these others, obviously, including Amazon, but even a lot of these D to C, you know, these direct to consumer plays that we're so excited about that, you know, God knows if they'll ever turn a profit, you know, until they get acquired and then it becomes somebody else's problem to see if they can make money with it. Exactly. And that's, that's a really interesting perspective that I think a lot of people don't, don't give enough credit to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I don't blame the entrepreneurs that are doing it. I think, you know, I think they're smart. I mean, it seems to be the same playbook as well. I think it's the same venture capital money that's coming in. I think they have sort of the same recipe and they, and they know how to, how, you know, they can smell a good formula that's going to grow the top line and say, just put people behind it. They're going to do that with a very little concern for the bottom line. And it's, it's, you know, it's fascinating to watch it go. We become fans and we, we, we buy our Allbirds and, and, and run away, run around with our away luggage and sleep on our Caspers. But, you know, <laughs> none, none, of those, none of those companies are, are making any money. Then, you know, there's, there's, there's a flaw, there's a flaw somewhere in that. And so that's, that's my, that's my concern. Well, that brings up a good point. I'm just going to jump here um, down a few questions because I, I just heard that Wayfair um, is opening its first full service physical store this fall uh, after, you know, opening a series of pop-ups in the past. And then last year with its 20,000 square foot outlet store, do you think that their physical store is going to be successful or what should they be focusing on to, to make that a success? So this, this old proverb, uh, 
I'll say Chinese because most old proverbs are Chinese. <laughs> you know, the best time to plant a tree is, you know, 10 years ago. The second best time is now. So I think Wayfair sort of missed it. They should have planted that tree 10 years ago. I think they should, they, they're coming very late to this. And I know that uh, uh, there's some good work around their valuation being done. Um, we should talk about customer lifetime value a bit later, but because um, it plays into this, but the, no, they had to. They have to. I mean, no brand, no brand can live in a purely digital or physical world. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's just not. It just doesn't work. The the economics don't work on either side. I mean, you need acquisition. You need influence. I mean, people focus too much on e-commerce. It's not e-commerce. It's Scott Galloway put it many years ago. E-influence. I mean, it's it's. My digital investments don't, I can't, I can't justify my digital investments purely by my e-commerce transactional numbers. I got to recognize that probably three quarters to 90% of the people that walk into my store have been to my website first. So how, so that's the way I got to think about it. Not so much that 10% of my business is online. Um, but if it's all online, then my acquisition costs don't scale. I mean, that's, that was really being the big revelation that Wayfair, I guess, held off so long to want to, to to believe in. I mean, Warby Parker picked up on it five years ago, even Casper, you know, three years ago. Um, they're still not more not profitable by by the way, but at least I, I suspect they're trending in a better direction than they were. Cause the idea was, well, e-commerce, you know, the, the fact that you don't have these stores, you're going to save all this operational money. Um, you know, you're going to scale. So your acquisition costs are going to go down because you're going to just get much more efficient in your digital and what you realize is sort of the opposite was happening is, is that the acquisition costs were going up, you know, your, 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 your paper clicks and these categories that were costs were just astounding. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, when you did a pop-up in the market or you did something, you know, that created a bit of, of, uh, of buzz physically because you did something that, you know, people felt like they wanted to connect with and go and see and wanted to do well, their organic search went up and their acquisition costs went down. So it's, it's, it's not, you know, this is not by accident. I mean, so now they're, I mean, if, if Wayfair says we're opening a store this fall, they're not, they're not doing it because they feel like they, they, they're excited about getting into physical retail. I mean, it's <laughs> the last thing they want to do, but they're, 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 they're being forced into it. And in my humble opinion, I think, you know, their options that I've, I've, I've gone on record. I mean, their, their options are, are, are more and more limited where, where their future holds. And, uh, and, you know, I think they're just now trying to catch up to that, but they should have done that a long time ago. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I say, see, there's a lot of com competition going on in the furniture space specifically anyway, especially with players like Target and their private labels that they roll out. So I think they're really feeling the, the pressure. Um, plus well, the one thing people don't talk about enough is just how much of online items are returned yeah and that's the dirty secret right i mean that's that's also so i i focused you know i was focusing on the acquisition cost piece of of why e-commerce isn't sustainable but probably more so is the returns i mean the statistics we keep hearing are the average is around 30 percent in some categories like fashion categories where size and fit are more important you could go up to 50 percent you know i've seen some stats mm -hmm. um i can't remember I'm trying to remember which uh, there's somebody that actually they people rarely release what their returns are, but somebody released one and they were showing 20%, which were like, well, that's actually good. And people are, were appalled. Like, oh my God, how is this? 
company going to stay alive if they have a 20% return? I'm like, that's actually below average. Meanwhile, they're, <laughs> they're proud of that number. That's why they released yeah, it. Yeah, maybe that's why I kind of got, but they didn't, they didn't promote it. It was just somebody went through the report and, and found it. So, um, oh, so yeah, that's, that's a really like, you know, I've heard metrics where you know, some of the unit, you know, the unit economics is like each package that goes out is losing money. You know, that's really what it comes down to. That's what this, that those businesses are doing. Each, each bed in a box that's going out is, you know, basically $20 in the, you know, in the hole, which, not sustainable until you unless you're you're either want to ipo your way out or get acquired more likely so that's and then then again it becomes somebody else's it becomes your investor's problem not yours right well what's your perspective on these e-commerce first retailers that we we know and love and we see so many of them what how should they approach opening the first physical store do you think they should test with a pop-up first is that like kind of the the standard gateway now to opening a physical store yeah well because there's a bunch of things i mean you need it's a very different skill set so you need to have the talent you know internally to to, to even start approaching these so pop-up at least gives you some a little more flexibility um and probably that aligns more with their way of thinking, with their digital way of thinking, where things are more iterative and, and shorter term. So, you know, it's, that's part of the playbook so far. Everybody who's gotten into physical started with some sort, some form of pop up. Um, now, you know, the next step to go and, and really start uh, building out actual operations, and 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 and. You know, it's, it's, you, you got to build up that muscle. It's not a, uh, it's, it's not, it's not given to digital retailers. The advantage they have is their mindset, is how they, how they approach things, how they measure everything and iterate. I mean, that's, that's their advantage. Um, again, to this day, most of them still aren't profitable, but I, I, there's some that I would, you know, I have, I have more confidence in that are going to get there, but it's, it's, and they have the patience of their, of their, you know, their venture capital investors, but, um, Yes. This, so the gateway is tends to be, you know, small pop-up, medium pop-up, larger pop-up, uh, first store in Soho, second store. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, say, or now I guess Hudson Yards maybe, although that's, that's some expensive rent there, but you know, and then, and then sort of go from, go from there. Well, and again, you brought up a good point about it, it being so uh, reliant on the people who are actually implementing these you know short-term storefronts do you think that these are the places where they should also test the you know the bringing in some digital experiences oh yeah absolutely it all comes together i mean you can't you know anybody who's doing anything right now has to be testing all these experiences i mean you can't it doesn't happen separately i mean it's got to, it's it's built in and i it's not it's it's and that's another you know another thing i'm pushing hard on when i talk about the blurring of digital and physical is is this notion that these things have to happen in in, in they can't they can't happen separately they got to they got to occur you know they got to be thought of all is one. I mean, they can't be saying, okay, well you designed the digital experience. I'll design the physical experience and let's meet in like next month and see where we're at. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. I mean, and, and that, and that, it sounds kind of funny when I say it that way and almost stupid, but in a lot of ways, that's still the way it's happening. And, and, and it's more complicated. I'm making it sound really simple. Like two people just walking away. There's a, no, there's a bunch of teams. I mean, you got, you know, people working on loss prevention. You got people looking, you know, working on, on shelving and, 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 and wayfinding and, and, and all these things, they all have to come together. It's, 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 again, it sounds simple, but it's pretty complicated. So is this something where retailers 
have you seen them doing like accelerators in-house or is it more like work with third parties who come in and help them um, develop these experiences? Uh, a bit of both. I mean, I think the acceleration is, it happens more from their people. Like, so if they're, if they're, if they're executive and that's, and that's another trend right now that I'm seeing talking with executives is creating a sense of urgency that to accelerate some of these adoptions and saying, listen guys, you know, we can't wait around until next, you know, next year. We know the fast follower thing might not uh, may have been our approach in the past, but now we need we need to get out ahead of this. Um, so that's so that's that's one part. Um, so I mean, I don't know if you're referring to accelerators more in the traditional sense, like what Target has and testing startups and things like that. But um, it's it's no, I think it's I think the third party piece is very important because the and, and there's an openness to that. I mean, re, you know, retailers five, 10 years ago would be like, no, no, we got this. We're all good. You know, I got the talent house. I hired that digital guy He's apparently really good at doing these e-commerce websites. So, he, you know, we're fine. And then I realized, okay, the skill set is a lot broader than that. And, and then we, we do probably need to bring in some external experts to help us navigate this because it's moving so quickly that even their best, um, you know, I, there was a fascinating little series that came out from Doug McMillan shared, uh, the CEO of Walmart, where he, like these three or four interviews he did with the former head of Walmart Global, who, you know, been with Walmart for like 30 years, like clearly somebody very accomplished. And I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's pretty easy to find. And, they, and I thought it was fascinating. This actually, they said, okay, you know, he seemed interested in technology and all. And I said, step away from the business. And you've got you you've got free reign to go out and understand everything it is you can understand around what this all this artificial intelligence talking about is. I mean, you got to help us decipher this. So they literally pulled them out of the business unit and just said, you know, you know, the world, you go around the world is yours. You figure out where it's going on, how it's going on, and report back. Wow. So that's that's kind of major, you know. And and I think you need you need sort of initiatives like that. And then he you know so he went around met with the leading academics in the space. And this is what he was sharing in these capsules and sort of really kind of, I think, you know, got a really good feel, but you wouldn't, he wouldn't have been able to do that if he was in his day-to-day job running, you know, Walmart's international operations. I mean, I just wouldn't, you know, it's, wouldn't have the bandwidth for it. Totally. So, so to say, okay, now you got to step out. Now most organizations don't have that luxury. So what do, what do they need to do? Well, they need to find the people, you know, that are doing this on their behalf and say, okay, you're out there. This is your job really that, you know, this what you've specialized in, you know, can, can you report to us? You know, can you tell us about this or what is it, what is it that you're working on that we should know about? And I'm seeing much more and more uh, openness to that. You know, uh, I mean, there's still some defensiveness too, because you know, there's no lack of solution providers in our industry. So right. most <laughs> retailers still walk around the trade show floors with their badges turned around because they, they're tired of being jumped on as soon as somebody sees the word target or, or, or lows on a badge and say, Oh, here's my, here's my next client. So they still, they're still sort of low key, but they're more open than, than they were for sure. Yeah, no. And I know what you're talking about. I actually saw that happen at NRF. <laughs> so there's, oh, you know, hundreds. Oh, yeah. uh, listen, I, I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, I'm uh, <laughs> trying to give, I'm trying, you're nice enough to have me on. I mean, I, I'm trying to give you a, uh, trying to keep it as, as real as possible. Yeah, of course. And I really appreciate that. Um, and just jumping real quick back to the business models. Um, I just want to ask circular business models have been on the rise for a while, rental subscription, retail, resale, re-commerce. Um, do you think these are going to continue increasing, uh, you know, into the years ahead or is this kind of just a trend we're seeing 
due to the economy? What's your take? So there's sort of two things happening. So there, so there's, there is this, this uh, conscious capitalism side of it, which I think is really important. And so concepts that are coming from a place of purpose that want to do better to, you know, and, and be more, more sensitive to the environmental impacts. Um, and, you know, so around circular economy and sustainability and, and so, you know, reuse and, and so we're seeing more, those are great, like, re, you know, rebag and all these other ones are real. Anyways, I forget, there's, you know, every day there's a new one coming out, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think we're also a big piece of this and it's, this is more of a, this one is more behind the scenes or not, you know, it might not be as obvious is like, go back to your 30% return on e-commerce average. Where does that stock go? It ends up more and more in these sort of these these third party retail, you know, independent retailers that are now specializing in reselling returns, which is a fascinating business yeah. if you think about it. Um, and it's not new. It's it's just that it now because as e- e- as e commerce grows fifteen percent a year, guess what? It grows also fifteen percent a year returns. So there's more and more of this inventory out there that retailers the reverse logistics on it are really messy, and and not. I bet. Free. Wow. So, so you're seeing more and more of these companies specializing in taking back these returns or going to the large, you know, this is more a big box thing, right? So going, negotiating deals with the big box guys saying, listen, we'll take your returns for, you know, X amount of cents on the dollar, you know, no questions asked. And then we'll make, we'll make, you'll make this our problem. And obviously the big box uh, retailers have um, agreements with their suppliers to help them absorb the cost of doing part of this. So you're seeing these stores more and more opening up, you know, and I know that the retailers try to control so that their brands aren't used. So they don't like seeing Amazon returns sold here, but there, I'm seeing some of those actually showing up and I'm just saying, well, I guess the Amazon hasn't seen that, that, that sign up yet because they'll be getting a season desist pretty quickly. But um you not use the word Amazon, but you're, that's, you're going to see more and more of these. And even, you know, things like TJX were, who are selling, we specialize in selling overstocks and, and, and these sort of, you know, these end of lots and all that. Well, that's going to play into that too. Yeah, I could, I could totally see that happening. And that's really interesting because I, I don't often think about it that way that it, these resale or direct to consumer, you know, subscription box companies are potentially just, you know, using product that the big box received as returns so yeah i'm not i'm not saying it's necessarily adidas direct to consumer i don't know if that maybe there is i mean the, i'm sure somebody out there's probably trying i'm just saying these are more like opportunistic regional players right now that are out there and making deals with you know three four uh, warehouses or return centers or whatever and saying well, we'll just because that stuff goes somewhere and hopefully it doesn't go into landfill i mean that's you know that's that's very very last place we want to find it so you know, if somebody's going out there and and you know, you know, being smart about how they're buying the stock and being able to pass along uh, some savings to a consumer who's more and more, you know, it's more and more polarized. We know that the retail concepts that are working right now are either serving the very high end or at the lower, you know, the lower mid low, mid low, the low end, like the, you know, the dollar generals and all that. So if everybody's looking for a deal, you know, buying returns is probably a good way to to save some money. Yeah, and that's you know, that's obviously a hot topic too. Is just corporate social responsibility. Um, we just ran a survey on that actually just to kind of gauge the sentiment, but obviously it, it varies so greatly, especially just, you know, across regions and demographics. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's a very, very, I mean, at the school, at the, uh, at the McGill, uh, 
actually our, man- our retail management school our, our launch event last fall was all around that and it was really interesting and we had a we did a case competition with uh, Rila which is your you know the US based um, you know large retail and uh, and we had comp- we had uh, students from around the world we had schools from Ghana and India and everybody show up kind of show up and pitch ideas around how to make it more sustainable and and it goes from how do you make a better a clothes hanger you know that that, that that doesn't get you know that doesn't use uh doesn't use plastics for instance to or uh, you know ideas around batteries and all it was really really interesting so yes you're to your point there the retailers are more and more focused on it i mean are they really executing on it we can that could that's up for debate but i think the, the path and the, what they're trying to accomplish while still balancing out the needs of their investors and and, and other stakeholders uh but it's it's clearly on their radar yeah I, I would say so i would agree and i know we're getting close to the top of the hour so yep. I, I wanted to ask um i want to close out with just this question to get your take on a quote i heard recently which said in a couple of years from now there won't be any more debate about whether digital is taking from traditional stores because the two will be one in the same and so from your perspective how close do you think we are to physical and digital retail spaces being indistinguishable that sounds like a quote i gave but because <laughs> it really really sums up nicely with the way i think about it and 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 when we get into these debates around well when you know what do you think e-commerce is going to be 10 years from now in terms of percentage of market or i'm hearing some people saying 2033 it will be a parody it'll be like 50 50. i hope by 2033 we're, we're not even going to care about the difference the only person that's going to care is the person in the logistics side that's having to ship out, you know, the product and understanding where it needs to go and when, you know, the, for everything else, it needs to be just all part of the same. And, and if, as we live in this augmented uh, environment more and more, where digital, there's going to be a digital layer um, pretty much everywhere we go. That's going to add information or context or, or, or opportunity uh, on everything we see and do. Uh, that's when we're going to really not, we're going to have a lot of trouble seeing the difference between the, the two worlds. And, and, and that's going to be as much in the physical uh, commercial spaces as it'll be in our homes, as it'll be in the places where we work. It's, it's all, it's, that's uh, you know, one of the things I say that, you know, as, as for the past 50 years now, we would be much more um, surprised by the lack of light in a room like we walk into a room and there's no electricity like well that's odd like there should be electricity in this room because every room has electricity i think you know we're going to be going more and more towards that where we're going to walk into a space that doesn't have a digital layer on top of it that we're going to be like oh that's weird why isn't there a digital layer here why isn't there more information popping up at me about this thing or why am i not seeing more context around that or why am i not seeing another uh, way to engage with this and and that's where I don't get a little science fictiony here, but um, that's I think really where we're going, and, and we're already seeing some of that, you know, uh, with uh, with some applications that are you know we're using on a day to day basis. Yeah, and I love that analogy. I love that soundbite because I think that's a good way to um, visualize kind of the future and, and how it's going to feel. Yeah, and we did it. I mean, since NRF this year, we've been sharing this report. Uh, Kantar did a store of 2030 report 
and mm-hmm. uh, we, we shared for the first time as David Marcotte's team uh, produced it at Cantor and, and we shared it. Uh, he was nice enough to invite me up on stage and, and, and comment on it there. And since then, I've had a couple of other opportunities to share it. And that that piece of it where I talk about the absence is going to be more felt than the presence of, of digital um, is, is anyway, I don't even think we'll call it digital. I think just, you know, do we call, you know, Oh, look, there's light in this room, you know, like, no. <laughs> right. So, uh, so the report, I think kind of gets that, that, and there's a good video that goes along with it as well. It sort of puts that all into context. Oh, great. I love that. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take that as an action item. Go check it out. Um, Carl, thank you so much for being on the show today. You, you had some excellent insights. You brought some great examples. And I think I really just enjoyed our conversation. It was really, really good. So I'd, uh, I'd love to keep in touch. And I hope you have a great time at your C2 Montreal event. Yeah, thank you. Well, likewise, uh, you know, keep in touch. And I really enjoyed the conversation. And hopefully we can uh, make this a recurring thing in the future. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Carl. Have a good rest of your day. You too. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries. 